Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. Hello, everyone. I hope that you're preparing for a fun but safe weekend. And I just wanted to say thank you for all the support you've shown to this project of mine. Each time you share an episode or give a rating or post a review, you're helping us possibly be discovered by somebody new. If you're enjoying the podcast or have any suggestions and just want to send me a message, you can, you can do that through my website at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast or use the direct message on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. Okay, I don't want to delay any further. My guest today is Randy Mintz. He's a bassist and a retired band teacher. He is my friend, and we have done somewhere close to 20 productions together, including my very first show back in 2009. I think this is a fun interview, and even though it's one of the longer ones I've done, it really zips along, I think. Here is my interview with Randy Mintz. Randy Mintz, it's good to have you on my show, and uh, normally I start by asking all my guests how they're handling themselves during this time of quarantine and pandemic, but uh, for you, I'll just, I'll skip that, because honestly, yeah. I'm getting tired of asking that, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway. it's, it's mostly the same answers, but yeah, um, <clears throat> the main thing I want to ask for you is how are you doing, pandemic or not, with retirement? Yeah, good question. Thanks. It's good to see you too, David. Um, well, retirement is fantastic. I got to tell you, as, as you know, I retired a year ago from teaching, 43 years of being a band director. Wow, and, I knew it was, I, I yeah. was going to say 40, but I was off yeah. by three. <laughs> you, were, you were close. That's been a long time. And uh, I loved it, um, except the days that I didn't. But most of the time, I loved it. It was a great career. I'm so glad I did it. But after 43 years, it's like, okay, uh, it's time. It's just time to move on now. And it's actually been pretty interesting. So for now, the whole year has been kind of different for me just to get used to a new flow and not having the schedules and the daily when 10, 16 is an important time, you know, and things like that. So, <laughs> so well, it's great. I'm, I'm getting to practice more. I, I'm loving practicing. I haven't done this much since I was a kid and um, spent a lot of time with grandkids and just doing stuff around the house that has been needed to be done for two decades. Oh, sounds great. One thing that kind of crossed my mind is I've left some jobs before, you know, sometimes in good circumstances and sometimes not. Uh, yours is obviously, uh, you know, we, we know very well it was, it was very good. Uh, yeah. It was retirement and uh, I sure. think people, you know, people really cherished your time there. But the thing that was crossing my mind was when I've left the job, if I lived quite a distance away, I didn't think about it so much, but if I lived nearby like you do, yeah. uh, do, do you get that yeah. that itch? You know, you wish you could just kind of go back in there some days or? Well, yeah, I tell you, it took me about six months to really come to grips with this decision. Even after I said I was going to retire, it took me a long time to, because, you know, some days I go, oh, this is so much fun. I don't know. Why am I leaving this? Yeah. But then it was just, it was, I was tired. It was just exhausting. It was a lot of work. But um, so, yeah, you're right. I live like three minutes away from Greensboro Day School. So mm -hmm. it's easy just to hop over there. Um, I was fortunate to have find a, 
to help find a, a really good band director. Uh, Brandon Bickham took my place. And so he and I are good friends and he, we keep in touch. It's, it's kind of helped me ease the transition because he'll tell me about how the kids are doing and what's going on. So right. yeah, it's, yeah, but I can't say that I'm really needing to go back. I'm, I'm happy with being retired. Well, that's great. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. Yes. So I know you play a lot of instruments and of course you almost have to being a band director, but, uh, yeah, I, for, for the longest time, I just knew you as a bassist. That was all I knew that you did. Yeah. And then, uh, when I, when I signed on to music direct Chicago, I get this book and it says it calls for one person who can play bass and tuba. And I thought to myself, how, how on earth am I going to find someone who plays bass and tuba so i just said well i'll just split up the book and i contacted you to play bass and you said right. by the way i play tuba <laughs> as well <laughs> and i was like well that's just great and uh yeah and, and then when you said you us. couldn't do all the shows uh, you know you're gonna have to get a sub it's like well how's that gonna work well it turns out <laughs> guy kelpin who i'm hoping to have on on a later show he was yeah he was playing one of the trombones and uh or i think well, I, I guess we just had one trombone for uh, yeah, for that particular production maybe. well so he got a sub cuz it was easier to get a trombone sub than a, right. than a someone who can do tuba and bass <laughs> and he did tuba and bass so i was like well what are the odds i got two people that can play this book you know in what? you know which is not a huge city <laughs> right exactly and oddly enough there are there are a couple of people around who could have done that so wow. I don't know. There's something about tuba and bass that seem to go together. I don't know why. So let's take that from there. What what got you started? What was the first instrument you took up? So uh, when I was a kid, and uh, both my brothers had played music, and somehow um, I always knew I wanted to play music. I couldn't wait. I don't know why, but I just knew that. And so I started playing the cornet. Okay. In those days, we, you know, you didn't have trumpets as much as cornets. So I played the cornet. Okay. And uh, in band, and about the same time, the Beatles came along, and I heard them playing uh, on Ed Sullivan. I said, "Oh man, I've got to learn to do that." So. My brother had an old banged up guitar, so I started using his guitar. And so, um, so I did cornet and and sort of at school to get some real training and then the guitar at home with my buddies, you know. Right. And then um, then after a few years, I always had a terrible range on the cornet. So um, had a teacher who recommended switching to baritone horn. And then eventually, of course, that became the euphonium, which is what I ended up majoring in. Okay. Which is like a tenor tuba, sort of. <laughs> yeah, like a small tuba, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but there's not a whole lot of calls for euphonium players, you know, unless you join a military band. That um, that's about it. <laughs> right. I feel like there's a show out there. It's just not on the tip of there my couple, brain. There are a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ragtime actually calls for euphonium and tuba quite okay. a bit. And I feel like there's another one or two more that people usually just go, eh, no, we don't need that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when uh, on a on a budget and then. Uh, you know, in a mid-sized area, you, you'll get a lot of things switched to trombone and to bass and right. guitar and all that. Okay. So, right, yeah, it's easy to skip that stuff. Okay. So when when did bass come into the picture? So, yeah, so bass, uh, so what happened was I was playing a lot of guitar. I was never great at it, but I loved doing it with my friends. And uh, my brother was a bass player, an older brother. He had been playing in a, um, in those days, we called it a soul band. Mm-hmm. which meant R&B and Motown and that sort of thing, some uh, 60s rock and roll. And he was actually traveling and playing a lot of gigs up and down across several states and and being busy sort of uh, um, failing and, or dropping out of college, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so we're all busy. And so yeah. he got drafted. 
so uh, as he was going to Vietnam, he said, well, look, I got all this great equipment here. You might as well play it while I'm gone. <laughs> Who knows if I'll come back or not? Because it was scary in those days. Mm. So he taught me a few things on the bass and said, this is kind of what I do. And so I had this great Fender Precision bass to play and great amplifier. So um, that's where the bass started. And, of course, everybody needs a bass player even then as now. So yeah. suddenly I was a bass player. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if you're... If you're thinking of getting into music and you, you definitely want to be in music theater, uh, I would say piano, bass, guitar, drum set. It's like if you and, and yeah. a drum set kind of, a, you know, as uh, as Jim Brandt mentioned, drum set mingled with percussion. It's like if if you right. have those four covered, you're, you know, during times when live theater is going on, you're going to have a lot of opportunities if you do any yeah. of those well. Yeah, and you can get away with a lot with just those instruments. And and you're right, almost everything needs a bass of one kind or another. And so, which means a lot of variety also. But Right. Um, now let's resolve yeah. the story on your brother. He went to Vietnam. Did, did he do yes. okay? <laughs> he did do okay. He okay. came back, and he still has that precision bass, actually. So okay. we keep in touch. Yeah, thank God. Oh, <clears> great. <throat> so uh, when did you get started into, into theater? All right. So, um, you know, I was not really a big theater fan as a kid. I was playing rock and roll and all that stuff. Um, but I think what happened was as a as a young band director, I was very busy. And um, of course, I moved to San Juan, Puerto Rico, where you can do diving and scuba and sailing and stuff. So it was, you know, it was pretty a lot of ways to get distracted there. Right. <laughs> when, so, when did you move to San Juan? Um, uh, 79. Oh, okay. So I've been teaching for three years on a military base and I heard about that job and ended up moving there. Um, cause I thought, well, this will be fun anyway. So then I met my wife there. Um, she's from New York, also teaching on the army base. We're both teaching on a lot of military dependents, federal employees, kids. Uh, anyway, so, you know, with, we started having kids, we had, uh, young kids. And so there wasn't really a lot of time to play music, honestly. So many years later, then after they got a little older, we moved back to Greensboro. And um, so I guess I just really started itching to play some music. I mean, I had been playing, of course, but not seriously. So I just started looking around for to see what there was out there to get busy. So I played in a blues band for a while, and I played a lot of swing bands. And so at some point, um, I, just to make the story shorter, I, I had an opportunity to play Jesus Christ Superstar for free for oh. Livestock Theater, which was, you know, it's a volunteer orchestra at that point. Right. And uh, I thought, well, OK, that that sounds like fun. So I did that. And that led to another free show. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then um, but then after a while, um, it took a little while. But then I, I don't know if people saw the show or probably just saw my name in a program and said, we need a bass player. I don't know. Uh, just so I started getting a few calls. Um, there's a guy named David Ortel. Some of your listeners will remember who was in the area. He got me started in a bunch of shows and uh, Wesley Hudson was doing directing shows. And of course you, uh, right. eventually you and I've worked for, a, I don't know how many shows together. Uh, yeah, um, a lot. So anyways, <laughs> like, yeah, a lot. And so it just sort of, you know, it just kind of became more and more, um, popular, I'm not popular, but more and more shows came along. So here's what happened, though, is that as I was doing that, I realized a couple things. One, I realized that I actually really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> I just right. loved that whole atmosphere and sitting there doing the music with, with all you guys. And most of those pit musicians are now some of my best friends. And um, 
So it was just fun. But I also noticed that there were a lot of really good musicians playing in these pits. And yes. so I thought, wow, man, this is this is actually pretty cool. This is, we're coming up with some good stuff. And so it became a lot of variety. It was very challenging. In those days, I hadn't been playing, reading a lot for bass. I'd just been playing bass. Right. But I've been reading music all my life. So it was just a matter of kind of switching gears there. Um, so then it just got more and more. So I just, you know, in early days, actually I needed the income too. So it wasn't much, but it was kind of nice having the money coming in. But the main thing was I just enjoyed doing it. So then it just got out of control, you know, (laughs) everybody needs a bass player. I I feel like you can always tell, uh, when I go into a pit, I can tell the people who have been there a while versus the people who are, who are like just trying it out for the first time, or maybe, you know, they're subbing for somebody and, and, it's not so much the confidence, but it's kind of their degree of engagement, I think. Yeah. You know, it's like the people who've been in the pit for a while have kept coming back because they love something about the collaboration and the theater. And I think yeah. most of the people I know, I, maybe they haven't met all the actors on. The, I don't think you can. You can't meet all no. the actors on every production, right. you know, but. You met some of them, you know, you, you've, you've taken an interest in them. You, you talk to the people who, you know, it, typically where we get set up in theaters, we're, we're crossing paths with the running crew and, sure. and, and, you know, we talk with them and, and you'll see some people they'll come in and it's kind of head down, play your book and, and right. <laughs> head out right. the door. And, and that's you know, okay. But... Not to say there's anything wrong with that, but that's a, right. you, you can tell that they, they either haven't been in there long or they're just not fully engaged with the process. And I think... That's what makes this different than, you know, playing in an orchestra or playing in, in a wind ensembles. It's it's not just go play your thing and go home, you know. I mean, you know, you, or just talk to the people around you, but you get right. to you get to be part of something else. And yeah, I agree completely. And, and I agree with you. You can tell who's been there and who hasn't. Right. Because it is just a different it's a different way of playing music. And, um, uh, you know, they like you say, there are a lot of times people, I, I think everybody should try it. Every musician should at least try it. They might like it, might hate it, but um, I think you have to give it a shot because it is so different. And um, and you're right. I think when I'm playing a show, I here's the other thing that I think hooked me is it's like therapy for me. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> no matter how hard the day has been, I love sitting there playing the show, even if it's a really hard show or the right. crowded or whatever. Um, but I, you totally have to be totally engaged every second yeah. <laughs> with the show to to not mess it up. And you're right; it's just fun being around all those. All the theater people are just fun people to be with. You know, right. it's just <laughs> it's a fun hang. <laughs> yes, and 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 that was that was the first thing when I when I got into it. You, you know, the the first show, as I mentioned on episode one, was just such, such a weird way to get introduced, but, but it was enough that it made me want to come back. But it was the yeah. second show onward where I just noticed just how friendly all of the actors were. And it's a little different for me being the music director because I work directly with the cast for, yeah. um, you know, anywhere from a month to two months, depending on, you know, what the production calls for. But, uh, you know, you get to know, you get to know the actors and, and theater people, it's, it's like, it's one of the jokes, are if theater people decide to go to to eat after a show, you can tell what their table is. <laughs> like you could that probably so tell it true. from outside the restaurant. You know, that's so, so true, right? Um, <laughs> you're right. So I would say most there's probably more than half the books that you're asked to play. You can't yeah. 
Um, I mean, you, if if the music director's okay with it, you can just bring in a bass. But yeah. but the book probably calls for more than one. It usually calls for an electric and, and an acoustic. And just, right. you know, we're not talking flute and piccolo. We're talking two right. big <laughs> instruments here. And right. you're also talking about... Or three. Uh, yeah, two or three. You're you're talking about probably at least two amps, right? Or can the acoustic go to um, the same amp? Well, um, there's a couple of ways to do that. I mean, yeah, that's the issue is usually just carrying all the stuff in. Right, <laughs> that was, that's the hard part. And a lot of shows just don't have the room for those instruments, even right. though it'd be nice, as we know. It's just not always practical, and so they can be played on electric. Some shows, I feel like it doesn't make that much difference whether it's acoustic or electric. Uh, but some shows it, it certainly is very different between those, those two sounds. Um, uh, and so I usually use an amp for acoustic and electric. I know some people don't, they really just want to put a mic in front of the acoustic. So I have done it both ways. I have sometimes just brought two amplifiers because the issue is that the volume and settings are all different, of course, for one instrument and the other. You don't have time to switch all that stuff. Or sometimes I'll have uh, just two amp heads going to one speaker and, you know, we can switch out the cable or, or whatever. Um, so it's usually not too hard. Usually I can figure out a way to do a quick change if I need to just switch cables right. with one amp. I tend to do that more now, I think, probably. Have you, ever, you ever, have you ever had to use an amp as a chair just due to lack of space? Yes, I definitely have. <laughs> uh, a few times. I think we all I have. I don't really like that. I think we all have. I've, uh, yeah, I've, I know you have. I've had to sit on the amp. I've had place where... Oh, I've, seen, I've had to stand. I've had to stand for I was going to say, show. I've seen you stand through an entire show before. <laughs> right. <laughs> more than once. I, I'm not willing to do that. Sorry. And that was, one of those was lay miss, you know? So <laughs> stand, standing up lay miss, it's like... I said afterwards, or after like the opening yeah. week, I said it's it's a revelation uh, because m- my back stopped hurting for for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I guess but, why. But then my ankles started hurting. <laughs> so yeah. just well, I mean, let's face pain. it: we've had to sit on the amp, we've had to sit practically in each other's lap. We've right. more than once I've had to play out in the lobby. <laughs> right. <laughs> Jim Brandt once had to play in the closet, literally. Yes. <laughs> in the show that we did. <laughs> Um, well, anyway. let's, uh, let's transition over to right. uh, your career as a band director. Now, is, has yeah. your entire career been at Greensboro Day, or did you start el- no. elsewhere? No, I actually started, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think, I started um, Camp Lejeune Marine Corps Base. Um, it's, I was very lucky to get that job right out of college, and so it was a great job. I was working for Civil Service Department of Defense. I was there for three years and should have stayed longer because I was living at Emerald Isle and Man, I was just stupid to leave that, really. But then a friend of mine uh, who worked there had worked, taught in Puerto Rico and knew of that school system. It's a similar school system, also Department of Defense. So I uh, moved there on a two-year contract, and I ended up staying 13 years. <laughs> just stayed another year and another year. Met my wife, as I said. And we, you know, there's a lot of reasons to stay in Puerto Rico. It's it's nice weather year-round, and mm-hmm. it was great. But eventually, for a number of reasons, uh, we decided to move so I was there for 16 years, okay. and then um, I grew up in Greensboro and just happened to find a job. Greensboro Day School was just, I fell in love with the place, and so I've been there ever since. Okay. I didn't didn't expect to, but I did. Right. <laughs> right. Well, that's, uh, I, I think a lot of people have that, that part of their story. I didn't expect oh, to, yeah. but I did. <laughs> oh, yeah. I figured I'd be a band director three or four years, and that'd probably be enough of that, you know, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, but actually I really fell in love with education and, um, so it was a nice, um, just to kind of segue from there, it was, it was a nice way to 
have a good paying job and to be immersed in music day and night and still be able to go out and play music at night. Um, right. So it's it's not such a bad thing. I'm glad I did it. So now Greensboro Day School, uh, just just for uh, you know those who aren't in this area, mm-hmm. they uh, it is a well, it's one school. They kind of divide it up into there's the upper school. I don't, I guess they call it the yeah. lower school. I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, lower, um, middle, and upper. That's kind of a private school terminology thing. So, um, so do you do you do you start students? Did you start students in beginning band and then have yeah. them all the way through high school? I did. I did, which is both good and bad, you know. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so yeah, I started them in the fifth grade, right? Which meant I a lot of kids I taught all the way fifth grade through twelfth grade, mm-hmm. and so that meant I was my own feeder program pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the good news is there is that you can build from the very the very beginning stages. So I had right. my beginners playing jazz, you know, whatever. Right. Um, but it also means that you have to take the blame and the credit for whatever you get, you know, that's <laughs> so true. Teach them well, it's my own fault. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I love that. That was, it was a neat thing. Um, I mean, there's so much we could talk about just with yeah. band directing, but I, I'll try to keep it as on, on theater as much as possible. Sure. Uh, you, you've of course have taught at a school with a very strong theater department yeah. and, um, you know, really, really good facilities and all that. And they do, uh, they do at least one musical a year. I think they do a lower school musical as well. So yeah. well, they do, uh, yeah, they do a high school, uh, music, uh, middle school musical. And then there's usually a slew of musicals for the little kids too, even. Right. But and, full production. and the one thing that I know is that they've always encouraged, uh, you know, I mean, they want high quality, so they, they don't want to just say, uh, okay, bring your students in, and you, you know, and, and they may miss a lot of notes. They're not really that okay with it, but yeah. you think if you're, if you, if there's a student in your band that can handle, uh, the part, they want them over then over an outside professional, and then they'll fill up the gap with professionals. So, just talk about that over the years. What, what, have, what are just some fond memories you've had of, watching certain students go 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 from that deer in the headlights look when they first get into a pit to uh, becoming confident. I, I know for a fact, uh, uh, you, you know, I've worked with some of your students and, and I was just yep. thinking of, um, yeah, well, you know, you had had drummer Nick, I, I remember that. Yep. And he, uh, he, he was like on his third or fourth musical by the time I, oh, I, yeah. I music directed over there and, and he was very confident. And then uh, what was the clarinetist's name? Legally, was it Laura? Laura. Yeah. Laura. Yeah, we won't use last names. No, yeah, Laura. no, we'll just use first names. Uh, Laura, yeah. when I remember when we did the year before that, uh, she didn't look very confident. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. but when we did the next year, uh, she did. She she yes. did she, she uh, loved it. Too. And and it's that's the funny thing about experience is like you know once you get that first terrifying. Uh, or even first two out of the way, you know, who knows yeah. how many it takes, you know, per person, but, uh, right. but yeah, you know, once you kind of settle in, you know, then it becomes fun, uh, and it becomes something you can just enjoy. So, I mean, those are the two in, in my two years out of your decades of experience, but you know, again, no last names, but what are some, yeah. what are some other like highlights of just mentoring yeah, and, your students? 
Sure. And well, remember Cooper also you worked with. Who oh, yes. Excellent trombone player. And uh, Nick, you mentioned um, he actually I was able to get him involved in several other professional shows around the area. And he did a fantastic job. It was mm-hmm. amazing how well he was prepared, ready for that. So, I mean, yeah, as you know, you and I have talked about this some before. It's um, Greensboro Day is a it's a small band program, but it, it means a lot of um, hands on individual kind of attention and so we've i especially have always had the opinion and you and i've talked about this of course that um that if we have a student who is ready for that musically and uh, emotionally or whatever Mm -hmm. for that pit experience then i think they absolutely absolutely should get a chance to do it if they want to if they're willing because it's a commitment that was always the first step um and so uh, we were fortunate to be able to hire pros, as you know. So we had plenty of professionals come in. We always had a good sound. And, yes, we did definitely – we could have had just professionals. Mm-hmm. But, but man, think of the experience those kid, kids had to sit with those pros. And most of the time the pros were really good about mentoring and saying, hey, man, you're, fl- you know, you're flat. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you need to just lay out of this part or whatever. And so we would work with them. And um, I just felt like it was really important because, I mean, after all, it, it is a school. And so yeah. uh, that's yeah. what they're there for. Um, and some of those kids, that some of the kids that you don't know, have gone on to be professional musicians. Uh, I guess it's okay to mention some of their names. Uh, Kevin McDonald is now a jazz plays drums for the navy jazz ambassadors and wow. wood robinson wow. who has plays for mipso uh, a great little band not little a great band that's traveling all over the place and um, um kevin chambers used to be casey steedle all these guys played in these shows years right. ago and got kind of cut their teeth there and are doing all kinds of pro music so um we felt like it was a gamble to uh get those kids in there and of course, some schools I know use totally just student musicians, and God bless them if they have enough kids right. who can play that to do it. That's great, but right. um, we didn't usually have that. So, um, yeah, I, I really liked having those kids down there. It was always fun. I sometimes had my own sons in the pit with me, and that was just the best ever. Right. So it was always fun sharing the pit with those kids, yes. Yeah, well, you know, today's, today's professionals were yesterday's school kids. And, That's exactly um, right. You never know who's sitting in your classroom. I always say, man, you just don't know. Yeah, I mean, I was 34 when I did my first show in a so-called pit. And, you know, I mean, just I'm just thankful for the, oh, I'm trying to think, six years of band before I got to college and then the four years in college of orchestra and band and and also playing in brass quintets and chamber, you know, accompanying vocalists. So I had all the performance training down. So, but you, you know, it's just, you, you got to start somewhere and it's great to start in an environment that nurtures that. It's right. It's a safe one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, exactly. So that you get that experience so that you, you have the opportunities to play for some people who, you know, who are going to expect more, but also going to pay more and, yeah, um, and that's just how Absolutely. those opportunities come about. So yeah, and and some of those kids, um, sometimes we were sticking our neck out a little bit because kids would really want to do it, and we would go, oh, okay, I think that'll be all right. Just just don't play the parts you're not sure about, you know? right? Um, and so they would do that. But then, as you mentioned, uh, for instance, Laura and Cooper, those kids worked really, really hard to get ready for those shows. In fact, she learned to to play the the flute and the berry sax just so she could play them in that show. <laughs> right. So, so you never know. 
And uh, yeah, and and legally blonde, that's just not a. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> well, I you, you, did did you have to tell your students after that that most shows aren't this hard? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is because exactly... you know, we had a new drummer. Or no, no, that, no, we didn't. We had uh, we had Nick for that. We had a different drummer for Little Shop, but yeah, but it was yes, uh, right. Right, a younger drummer, and he pulled yeah. it off, but it was a little harder. Now, Little, little Shop's a good first show, I think, to start. It is. But Legally Blonde yeah. would not be a good first show to start. Man, <laughs> I know, exactly. And one of the shows I was able to get Nick to do uh, in, in Winston-Salem uh, was Mamma Mia. And, man, that's not an easy show at all, and he did a great job with it. But I think it's because he had been in that pit enough that he he knew where he was going, what was going on. Right. Um, now yeah, we'll, sure. we'll leave, we'll even leave first names out here. Have there ever yeah. been any situations yeah. in a pit yeah, let's, let's do. that, um, uh, you know, e- either had you questioning <laughs> whether or not this was a good idea, Why like anything you? that kind of left you a little nervous going on? Oh yes. Oh <laughs> yes. Um, well, you, you know, I feel like most intermissions, this is what we're all standing around talking about right. <laughs> you know, most of the time. Cause, and I have a terrible memory, so I've probably forgotten most of them now, <laughs> right. but um, I can think of a few that were just, just crazy. Um, one was a show that was a brand new show. We were doing the premiere of it oh. and actually local musician, Chris Tilly had written, I think he'd done all the orchestration or something. It was a brand new show and he was still pumping this music out at the last minute, practically. Um, and so the, the guy who had written the show was, I think it's from New York or somewhere. And he had flown in for the show. And so everybody's here. Great big opening night. Right. So we get about, I think it was maybe halfway through the first act and the fire alarm went off. And mm. so <laughs> the entire cast, crew, orchestra, audience, everybody had to go stand in a parking lot while the fire engine came and cleared the whole show, <laughs> the wow. fire alarm. And then we all went back in and finished the show. <laughs> so there's no little, no, uh, theatrical uh you know uh, curtain there as they say right <laughs> um it kind of disappeared but um there's another one now this one's hard to not give away uh you know exact uh n- names and shows and all that stuff but there was a situation where um the keyboard player and the the director essentially let's just say um left the show um yeah. very close to show opening Mm -hmm. and so uh, for reasons we'll talk about but um and so it meant this happened to be a show that they were not going to use live music originally and so it kind of popped up so none of us had the book ahead of time i had never heard the show had no nobody nobody in the orchestra knew anything about this music and so now we had to find um a keyboard player who could come do it and basically sort of direct from the keyboard as you've done Right. Many times, <laughs> and oh, by the way, he didn't know the show either. So, <laughs> right. So I have uh, this was tech. tech I week. have a feeling that I I know I, that show because I think I was did. asked about it as probably. I was eating uh, dinner, getting off a plane from New York, and coming back after a That's workshop. Exactly right. <laughs> and, and I think you're right. And and I just looked at my schedule and was like, I'd miss half the shows. I can't do it. But yeah, it was it was hard. So. You know, we we were literally every night going. Oh, I think maybe we're supposed to be playing this part right here. <laughs> maybe we're supposed to wait for that line. <laughs> no, nobody knew what was going on, but we pulled it off. Right, we made it work. I, I did <laughs> want to bring bring you back to band just for a moment. Uh, just yeah. um, what, you, you've done you've done some special things with your your kids over the years, and and I and I know very few of them, but I know like for instance, you you've taken your your band to Puerto Rico. Uh, what are yeah. some of the special trips that you've done with your band, and just you know, what is what have those experiences been like? 
for you well, and for it, them. Yeah, there there have been so many, so many of those, and of course, a lot of band directors have done way more of those than I have. Because it, but it's a, a tremendous amount of work. It just is a lot of work. Right. But we've done a lot of those. Um, so I've taken bands to Disney World mm-hmm. a bunch of times to Carowinds. Um, to we took we did two Bahamas cruises, which right. is kind of interesting. Um, we've done. I've gone with kids on other trips, Panama and Nicaragua. Those were not band trips, but um, we. Uh, but the two probably my favorite ones were um, a couple of years ago. You may remember this one. So I took my jazz band to. Uh, the Jazz Educators Network conference uh, that was in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, the the past president Bob Sinecrope I became friends with, and he really encouraged me to do this. So the deal there is that you can take your group and perform on stage for thirty minutes. You might have a big audience, you might have no audience, you don't really know, but you perform for thirty minutes, and then they have three really excellent judges who are college type professors or musicians who come and work with the kids on stage. So that was a really neat experience. And they got to tour in New Orleans. Uh, then we came back and went into the studio and recorded just to give them that experience. So that was kind of a neat thing. Uh, and they thought they were rock stars, you know, right. <laughs> they, they were at that point. Um, then uh, my last year teaching, I did uh, take my jazz band to Puerto Rico, as you mentioned. Right. So we were able to stay on the Army base where I used to teach and team up with the band director there now, did some things together and went, uh, took them up to a, there's a tiny little town up in the mountains called, a little town called Ibonito, where I have a former student who is a music teacher there. So we went and played for her kids. And so that was probably the best trip ever. The kids were great. And it was just all around a really good trip. So I highly encourage people to to uh, take those bands out and do that stuff because it's boy, for program development. It's just the best thing you can do. Suddenly kids come out of everywhere to be in the band, you know? <laughs> right. Um, the, the Puerto Rico trip, what was the timeline compared to the, the really devastating hurricane? that they had that's yeah gave them- uh, it was actually it was a year later so hurricane maria is when you're talking about right. and actually we were trying to go that year and just for various reasons it didn't work out and so thank goodness because we would have been landing um you know in in her in not in the hurricane but we would have we could have done it we would have had to cancel the trip obviously so we were there a year later and there were still some 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 damage you could see trees down and stuff like that tree houses that were gone um but it was okay so we were able to do it but interestingly enough the the um student that i mentioned up in the mountains her town was especially hard hit and so in this huge public school something like 400 of the kids just disappeared they just didn't come back because they didn't have a home anymore so um definitely was a huge impact there It Mm -hmm. it was kind of interesting to get to go see that yeah, that's 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 quite amazing. It's tough, yeah. Um, I just want to talk about. Uh, let's just talk about jazz for a moment because uh, okay. I, I think you're up there. Of you know, you're you're in the top one percent of music of pit musicians I've worked with that uh, that have an affinity for jazz. In fact, uh, <laughs> it's funny. You know, so episode two was Alan Beck. If if you yeah. put Alan Beck and Randy Mintz in the same pit. <laughs> Every pre-show becomes a jam session. That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> and uh, and and you guys, how... we'll try to get others involved. We've we've had like eighty yeah. percent of the pit going on at one time, and it's <laughs> right. yeah. So we have to usually get get Laurie to to uh, just turn down the house music so we can play. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, like at yeah. Greensboro Alan... Day School, there is no pre music, so yeah, you guys just play. You you know? play. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and Alan's fantastic too. Love playing with Alan. But yeah, when did when did 
when did you really get into jazz? I mean, first as a listener, but then as a player. Um, yeah, so I, I guess actually when I was a kid, we used to sit around playing blues and we had no clue what we were doing, but mm-hmm. we did it. And, um, and then, so then in junior high school, that was before middle school was invented. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I actually had a band director who had a little stage band called the Roaring Twenties. And she took us out and played, uh, all kinds of places, retirement homes and, um, talent shows. And she took us to a studio and recorded. It was my inspiration, I guess. Um, so I kind of, I guess that kind of sucked me in right there. Then, so I played a lot of stage bands and swing bands and that sort of thing, but not in a serious way really ever, because getting to college, I majored in euphonium. Mm -hmm. And and in those days, jazz was, you know, it was almost like a dirty word. Like there was Mm -hmm. jazz, but you know, that's not the real thing here. That's not what we do. Right. (laughs) And so, um, and so that was fine because I love playing euphonium. But anyway, so later, um, it wasn't until really a long time later that I really began to seriously explore jazz. And I think it was because I got a chance to play. And somebody called me and said, hey, could you put together, a, you know, any jazz musicians who could come play for this little party? And I thought, hmm, I wonder how I could do that. <laughs> and right. So I uh, looked at my friend Tony Thompson and he uh, kind of nursed me through that and helped me taught me a lot. Um, and then I actually went to a Abersold conference, uh, the Jamie Abersold jazz workshop. And, uh, they cut me down to, to like the very basics. And they was like, Oh man, you just need to start over. This is what you need to learn <laughs> to do. Um, so that was the best thing. I was humiliated. Of course, I was mm-hmm. devastated that they said that, but it was the best thing that could have happened. So I, I don't claim to be a great jazz musician. I just love doing it. And now that I have time in retirement, I'm really, really working hard at getting better at that. And of course, playing with Alan is, is just the best. And right. so, um, and of course you and I've even played some jazz together and yeah. should do that again. Yeah. Yeah. That so would... it's just, it's just fun. I just, I find it extremely challenging and, um, you just never get tired of it, but just to get back to theater for a minute though. So what's interesting is the whole jazz world and the theater world, I feel like those are such completely different types of music in many ways uh, because the jazz is all about improvisation and kind of, all right, let's start. We'll see where we end up, you know, <laughs> in, right. in theater, we know exactly where we're going and how we're going to get there for the most part. So I kind of really like those, the, the difference between those two. I like the variety. Right. Well, you know, the one thing that's great about being a pit musician is, um, I think it's great. Other people might, it might be a turnoff from being a pit musician, but you don't have the luxury of saying I'm classical only, or I'm jazz only, or I'm rock only. Um, if you can't play jazz, I'm, uh, I'm probably not hiring you for a show to, to, on, on a rhythm section instrument at least. And probably like, you know, on brass instruments. Um, and at the same time, I can't hire you if you can't read music. You know, sure. if you can't follow the score and play the rhythms that are on the page, so uh, it so true. Yeah. You you have to have some form of classical training and jazz experience, and uh, I, and I have a lot of respect for for jazz musicians. I didn't grow up with it. I, I probably I had to learn to like it after well, actually during grad school. But really? I was really into film music, and at some point I started noticing, and I still notice this today. If I listen to a a film composer and it's not a it's not a jazz score but it's some real sophistication in the harmony and the orchestration and i i i go check out their biography and i'd say uh at least 75 percent of the time if not more 
they've had jazz background. You know, think about the really? greatest, greatest film composers, uh, you know, that we know, John Williams. He started off oh, as yeah. a jazz pianist. I didn't know that. Jerry, wow. Go, um, yeah, he had, I don't even, I don't remember what his group was, but it was in New York. And of course he played, um, really? he played, he was a session musician in, in Hollywood. And uh, in fact, if you listen to the, the Peter Gunn theme, Henry Mancini, that is John Williams playing on the piano. <laughs> <laughs> is it really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he, he played in a lot, and he, he actually played piano on To Kill a Mockingbird and so forth. But, you know, he, he was also an oh. arranger, uh, and he, and he also had, um, military band experience i don't i can't remember if it was army or air force but yeah i think you're right right. you know so all of that comes into play jerry goldsmith same way alex north um it's just inevitably uh, you know lala schifrin is it's like all these guys who really know what they're doing they've got some kind of jazz experience so when Hmm. i started noticing that connection i was like well you know there's something to that now now they had to have classical training of some sort to be able to trans translate it into something symphonic. But, but in a, I just think that's one of the reasons why pit musicians are just such good musicians because they haven't pigeonholed themselves into a, a one style of music. And, you know, same thing, yeah. same thing with the guitar. Um, you know, when I did rock of ages, I was pretty confident any guitarist I, that I got, if they could play any of the other shows, they could play this, but you know, they could play rock because every guitarist gets into rock, but you know, occasionally <laughs> you might find, you know, you might find a guitarist that says, oh, I've really only done jazz. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. there's some of them who are not that, not that comfortable with rock. Interestingly enough. You're yeah. Right. And, and that's just, that's going to limit your opportunities on a show. If you're, if you're uh, yeah. doing that. Um, yeah. And you know, you think, I think if you look around the, those people that we play with all the time, Man, there's all kinds of musicians in there, and I, I think partly because being a freelance musician, which is what I've wanted to do all my life, now I can be as a retired person. Right. And, but a lot of those people, um, I think, like you mentioned, you can't just say, "All right, I'm just gonna play um, jazz or just gonna play rock or whatever." Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe you can, but um, I think you are limiting yourself, especially if you want to play any musical theater, because right. one of the things I love about it is. Every show is different. There's one you might be playing rock and roll, and the next one is almost classical, and then the next one is bluegrass. Or so, something like Next to Normal, where you play it all. Or all of right. It's yeah. all in one show. <laughs> exactly right. Um, <laughs> what is the most difficult book that you've played for a musical? Yeah, you know, I don't think there's any one book that jumps out at me that was that was the hardest. But I think what comes to mind is a lot of specific songs and specific shows that I just really struggled with. And I don't know at this point if maybe some of those were because at the time I just wasn't ready to play that level of music or, you know, or what it was. But, uh, I mean, I think for instance, um, there's, there's one song in West Side Story, which is a great show to play. I can't remember. I think it's maybe the fight scene or something Mm -hmm. that there's a, really hard bass part. I still am not sure how you play that bass part. I need to go back and look at it again and figure out what, what are you supposed to do here? Yes. Um, and then uh, there was, well, the last five years, I think, is a challenging show. Um, I love that show, but there's some things in that I had to really work hard on. And there was one that out of nowhere, it just seems random, but um, in Rent, which is not a particularly hard show, right? But right. there's one song in there called Santa Fe, now, I need to go back and look at this one again, but at the time, I remember I spent hours on this song because it's probably very easy on the keyboard, but when you put it that part on a electric bass, it just doesn't it doesn't want to work somehow, you know. Right. I remember spending hours on that one. But. 
Okay. Well, there's Legally Blonde, where the the key changes every song, right? I mean, every every other measure. Yes. Uh, yeah, I've already I've already put out a call to yeah you know, Lawrence Keefe. I want him to listen to the podcast and just say why thirty eight key changes and keep on my <laughs> shoulder right. part one and two. Right, so. was that necessary? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's it's my dream that he'll answer that question at some point. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, we we already talked about a horror story. What's a really fond memory from playing a show that sticks out that sticks out to you? Oh man, you know this is another one where there's there's so many times that I I I have trouble coming up with the the favorite one but um because again there's so many nights where i'm just sitting there playing and unexpectedly i get this feeling like man this is so much fun <laughs> why, why doesn't everybody want to do this right <laughs> but um but you know i think one of the shows i really loved doing last five years just because that was just a fun show but um um i think one that will seem also random that for some reason I just really enjoyed was Alter Boys. You ever oh, done yeah. that one? Yeah. It's just a fun show. We were on stage and you're sort of like rock stars up there. And um, even though it had its issues. Um, but I don't know. There's just, just a number of those shows that, that um, as you know, sometimes you come away thinking, oh, please, will this show ever end? <laughs> and right. Sometimes you get to the end, you go, you know, I could actually do this a couple more weeks. It'll be fine. Right. <laughs> so. And you know sometimes know. Uh, sometimes the the lack of appealing things in the music can be yeah. can be overcome by if it's a really good good thing going on on stage you know it's absolutely like, in some way or another it's like uh, right I mean I music directed Evil Dead which used tracks so I didn't even get to play it but yeah. that that it, all I have to do is think about a, f- a few of the songs from that show or a few of the scenes or, and, and I just break into laughter every time. So, yeah. And that's, <laughs> I know. it's nine years later, you know, so th- there, there are shows like that, that, um, yeah. you know, th- it's not because of the music, but again, it's because of the collaboration. It's just because of, you know, what you helped, what you're able to help build. And, right. And, uh, right. So it may not be in your and, area where, where it really comes in. <laughs> And and especially if you if you watch the show eighteen times or listen to the show and it's still funny, then you know, all right, oh, yeah. this, is, <laughs> this is a good show. <laughs> you know, it's uh, sometimes the band is visible from the audience, and right. uh, it it is a challenge sometimes on certain <laughs> shows to not just display yourself breaking into laughter. You know, <laughs> right, right, and and. Or, or to look bored. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, you don't want to just like get out your phone and start checking yeah, texts, right. And all you gotta, that. Yeah, so, look like you're interested. Yeah, um, but at the same time, I mean, I've kind of made a decision where um, if something's funny and I'm not in a costume, I'll laugh. You know, now yeah, I'll right. try, now I might like, yeah, I might like kind of look down or look the other way, but but I'll I'll go ahead and do that. If yeah. uh, if I'm in a costume, then I, I, I assume I'm like an actor, and I try to do my best to you, you know stay to, rigid yeah. and stay in the moment. But yeah, yeah, I've done a few of those shows where you're you're actually sort of a part of the cast. There's a show called I think it's called Smoke on the Mountain, yeah. something like that. Sound, sound familiar? So funny, hilarious show. And so I'm as the bass player. You're I don't know your brother. Uncle Bubba or whatever I don't know. Right. <laughs> you know? So I actually have a, a, a like a handful of lines and a little bit of blocking, which I found terrifying. You know, I, right. I don't want to do any of that. But I love being on the stage. That's just kind of kind of cool. It's to feel, be a part of it a little bit. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I've got to ask you this, being an educator. Uh, so what's what's a specific piece of advice that you would give to any music student who thinks they want to play in a show someday? Oh yeah, I, I have some definite advice. I think the 
the, I mean, I feel like I haven't listened to your other podcasts yet. I, I didn't, I didn't want to until I'd done this. <laughs> but, okay. Um, well, I've recorded a lot like, of them you haven't heard yet. So we're, we're recording, yeah, so, yeah, recording a lot of these interviews in advance. I, I would sure. say usually several weeks in advance of being heard. So yeah, I'm looking forward to them. But, um, but the one thing I would say first that I feel like everybody probably says is, man, do your homework, go to a practice room and sit there for about a million hours learning. Cause that's about what it takes to learn everything that you can possibly learn. And I say that because I feel like, um, you know, you, I figured out somewhere along the way, you can't just wait for somebody to hand you a piece of music and say, okay, go learn this and come back. It's more like, okay, can you be here tomorrow night to sight read this 175 pages of music? <laughs> you know? Exactly. And either you're ready for that or you aren't. And um, there's a fine line between uh, being courageous enough to jump in there or just to be stupid and do something you know you, you can't do. Right. Uh, but so I feel like, you know, uh, so that's the first thing I think is just look, know your know your instrument and know how to read music. Um, your but the other thing, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say you're, you're in your band room. You had a great sign on the door it said "Practice only on the days that you eat." Right, practice only days you eat. Right, <laughs> and the other one said, "Go home and practice." <laughs> right, <laughs> and uh, um, but the other thing I would say that I see with younger musicians, especially that I would really say. Man, you got to be reliable. Just be a reliable person. Yes. Um, which means if you say you're going to do a show, do it. Don't mm-hmm. back out of it. And um, you, you know, if if I know that if, if like if you call me to do a show, I always check my schedule very carefully. And if I say, well, I can't do these two nights, is it okay if I get a sub? You can say yes or no, and I'm okay with that. But um, if I get a sub, I want that person to get a rehearsal and a show. Right. Uh, not just step into a show. I just, even if they've done a show, those shows are not always the same. So um, I just feel like that's really important and be, show up on time. You know? yeah. <laughs> it seems simple, but I just always felt like the the music director probably has a lot more on his mind, his or her mind, than whether or not the bass player is going to show up that night. You know, <laughs> and, so, and from a music director's perspective, I'll just go ahead and say, um, you know, there are factors that that weigh into whether or not I'll rehire you and, and playing your music well is, is very, it's very high on the list, but it's not top of the list. I'd say it's maybe third. It's it's behind. Can I trust you to, to be there and do your job? That's, that's a big, that's a big part of it. Can I, can I count on you? Um, and then, you know, I'd say kind of maybe tied with, with second or real, but I, but I kind of edge on this is, uh, are you, are you at least, decent to be around pleasant to be around you know you don't have to be you don't have to be super happy and outgoing or anything like that but are you the type of person that's gonna complain 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 right or true you know are you just gonna you know just be quiet or or it'll just be be a good teammate be a good pit mate yeah Yeah, because we're a team down there it really is true and people have to understand that that you really are working together as you said you don't have to be uh, mr personality talking to everybody necessarily but you uh but i mean you have to be able to work together and communicate and there's a lot of times where we're listening i think musicians pit musicians i think maybe all musicians i don't know are really good at listening to each other and and if somebody makes a mistake you got to figure out how to help them out (laughs) right and just don't feed negative energy into the hit into the pit that's the point that's like right we've already we've all gonna be down here in tight quarters for three hours at a time and And for for, two or three weeks yeah for two or three weeks (laughs) and yeah it's just 
that, so I, I put that really high on my list. There, there are some really great musicians, um, you know, that have showed up an hour late and I haven't rehired them. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, it's like it was complaint after complaint after complaint and I haven't rehired them. And that's, well, right. Who uh, needs to listen to that? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, yeah. and, and that's right the thing. Now, now, you do have to be able to play your instrument because if, if you can't, you know, we live in an area where I have a lot of choices of, of people who can play instruments now. You do. A lot uh, of as I talked with another guest, you know, sometimes you might be in a town where, you know, you don't have that. And that's something you have to right. consider. Um, you know, it doesn't matter where you live as far as, you know, the competition and, and what's there. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think I think if you gave me a choice, I would I would forgive some wrong notes if I knew I could count on you. <laughs> and, and well, I'm you pretty sure you've you done that for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Oh, not necessarily, but yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, okay. So, uh, do you have any plans? Uh, like, if we didn't have COVID at the moment, are there any plans well, that you that are coming up? Well, you know, you're as you know. I mean, there's just no gigs out there right now. Right. <laughs> so, normally, I would have several things lined up at this point. Um, I am planning to play Shrek in November in Lexington, if, if that happens. Right. I do Wizard of Oz every year. Let's let's hope that happens again. Who knows? Um, so, but so in the meantime, I, I mean, I guess I'm just sort of on hold to see where we go from here. Um, I feel like it's going to be a little while before we figure this out, but. Um, so in the meantime, honestly, I'm really focusing a lot on jazz and, and hoping to learn to do that better. So, um, I mean, I feel like that's the only plans I can make right now. <laughs> yeah. I've gotten to play with Alan a little bit and, yeah. um, and we've, he and I and Sean have gotten on the, gotten together on my back deck away from each other and played a little bit just to have some music going on. So we may do some more of that. Okay. I didn't know if you'd done any, any of the like zoom sessions or anything like that. <laughs> I, I haven't, I haven't really tried that. Um, they're, they're really hard. You have to have an ear heard that. Yeah. You have to have like, you have to like be listening to the same track, like the same thing, uh, in your own room and you have earphones on. It's, yeah. it's, it's a bit of a hassle, which so it's hard to do without some editing, but yeah, that yeah. sounds hard. I've done, I did one thing for, um, Christy Elkins was putting together something and I, I did that, played the baseline for her just kind of to see what this was like really. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's a little, tr- a little challenging. Right. So, well, uh, Randy, I hope you continue to enjoy retirement, but you know, I hope you have some, some music to do very soon, oh, yeah. you know, and some opportunity. I hope we all do. Uh, but thank you hope for you taking time to, to share your stories. You're welcome. It's an honor. Thanks for asking me, David. This is great. Uh, good luck with the, the whole podcast idea. All right. Thanks. All right, man. Take care. Before I wrap up episode nine, first an announcement. That interview was recorded a little over three weeks ago, and just days after that, I hired him for my upcoming show. Yes, we have a gig, socially distanced, outdoors, wearing masks, and with limited audience, but it is a gig. It is Winston-Salem Theatre Alliance's production of Always, the Patsy Cline Story. It opens on August 13th. It's a cast of two, and an on-stage pit of six, me on keys, Randy on bass, plus a book for fiddle, steel guitar, drums, and an electric guitar, which will feature episode two's guest, Alan Beck. If you're local or going to be in the area and interested, check it out. Um, The easiest way for more information is through Facebook. Just 
go there and search for Winston-Salem Theater Alliance. And by the way, that's theater with an R-E on the end, not E-R, and you can't miss them. Okay, just in case you're starting to worry that all of my episodes are going to feature North Carolina friends, I have several episodes in August that should put that thought to rest, starting with next week. I'm going to be talking to Tony Steve, a percussionist, composer, and professor at Jacksonville University in Jacksonville, Florida. He has been contracted for national tours as they've come to Florida and also created a niche with live music in a unique way. To find out more, check that out on episode 10 when it comes out on Tuesday, August 4th. Thank you once again for a great first month of this podcast. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me personally on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter and Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, a special thanks to Mark Parolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. All original music is composed and performed by David Lane. For the time being, you can find out more about this podcast at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast or at our Podbean page, lifeinthepit.podbean.com. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app and share with your friends. Thank you for listening.